0: Hello. Hi. Are you on your way? Dimmered. I am. I am just over an hour away. I'll be there by midday.
1: Okay, cool. All right. Um, my car is the baby blue Fiat in the car um, park.
0: Very macho. Does she have a name?
1: Imagine it to be enough. She's called Big Blue.
0: Oh, I love it. BB. Great use of alliteration there. Thanks. Have you had any more thoughts about what we're going to call the podcast? Uh,
1: yeah, I have actually.
0: Um, what about... Into That World Inverted. Mm, inverted. I like that. Where's that? Is that from something? Um, well, yeah,
1: I mean, I thought invert is an old word for gays and gender nonconformists and, okay. you know, that we're going into that world. Um, and it also comes from a poem by Elizabeth Bishop. Do you want me to read it for you? Oh, yeah, i love that. OK, it goes into that world inverted, where left is always right, where the shadows are really the body, where we stay awake all night. Where the heavens are shallow as the sea is now deep and you love me.
0: Oh, I love it. Oh, I'm excited now. Right. I'll see you in, yeah, just over an hour. OK, bye. Talk soon.
1: Into That World Inverted a podcast, a pilgrimage, a queer road trip. Two friends set off in search of places that have meant so much to LGBTQ lives, past and present. So, Holly, how do you start a
0: podcast? You tell me, Dermot.
1: Well, okay, so in the queer youth group that I volunteer for, we start with our pronouns and our name, and then, um, you know, we just say something interesting about ourselves. But what we could do is... Instead of saying something interesting about ourselves, we could say something interesting about the other person. How's that?
0: I like that, but you go first.
1: Okay, great. Uh, So my name is Dr. Dermot Hester. Uh, My pronouns are he, him. And Holly, you... Interesting things about Holly. Holly, you are a doctoral researcher at the University of Oxford. You are a performer and your, your drag alter ego is... Orlando, uh, very influenced by early 20th century literature and the works of Virginia Woolf and Bede Sackville West. Oh, you really like hats, or or rather, you uh, are partial to a
0: straw boater. I am very partial to a straw boater, particularly in summer. I think that's pretty spot on, I'd say. So, my name is Holly James Johnston, my pronouns are any and all, and... Interesting facts about you, Dearmid. You are an academic at the University of Cambridge. You are the author of two books and you have loads and loads of tattoos.
1: That's true, that's true, I have loads of tattoos. I used to live in Brighton where uh, I thought I was the least tattooed person and then I went to Cambridge where I'm the most tattooed person.
0: We are currently on a queer road trip. This podcast is a six part series Each episode, we're going to be visiting somewhere along the south east of England. We're starting in Margate and we'll end in Hastings. And along the way, we'll be visiting Sissinghurst Castle, Smallhithe Place, Rye, and Dungeness. And we're not
1: just visiting the places on our own, you know, we'll be talking to people while we're there. Uh, In Margate and Hastings, for instance, we're going to be talking to people from the queer community there, people who are creating queer spaces in those towns. Um, But we're also going to be meeting historical figures like Vita Sackville West in Sissinghurst, um, the bisexual aristocratic writer and gardener. We're going to be meeting a theatrical throuple at Small Hythe Place. In Rye we're going to be walking in the footsteps of novelists Henry James, E.F. Benson and Radcliffe Hall and when we head out to Dungeness we're going to be I suppose communing with the spirit of Derek Jarman at Prospect Cottage and our guides along the way are going to be people like the vocalist and performer David McCalmont, artist and writer Brooke Palmieri, um, the performance artist Jake Wood and the memoirist and essayist uh, Jeremy Atherton Lynn. One of the reasons why I was so interested in doing this podcast with you was, you know, that we chatted about having very similar places that we wanted to visit that we thought would be really fun to, to talk about together and to go and visit together. Um, but also about this idea of space, you know, and, and about how particular spaces have meaning for queer people that is very particular.
0: I think I've always associated queer spaces with urban and built up environments uh that was my first experience of queer spaces um in london um They can be hard to find they're not readily visible, so for instance, I feel like my first my first experience with queer spaces was going to g a y in Soho and the nightclub Heaven in Charing Cross. Um, and I was shocked because it was full of gay men and I thought, Oh, well where's where are people like me? Um I think it took it took quite a few years of living in London to realise where those spaces were. This was facilitated by becoming Orlando, becoming a drag king, because I began to learn about these venues and these nights that are put on for drag kings who tend to so the the audiences for drag kings tend to be not gay men i don't really i can't really think of a more elegant way of putting it um i guess we could say women individuals who are assigned female at birth um
1: so when was that when when did you first visit say gay or
0: oh god i don't i really don't want to think about it um (laughs) 2015 i'm gonna say okay yeah i was 18.
1: and you and and in the in in the kind of intervening years, do you feel like there are more uh, places that are not specifically oriented toward like cis gay men, um, or is it that you, as you said, you know, you kind of discovered more places?
0: I think it's a bit of both. I discovered that actually, there might not be an entire venue dedicated to. People like myself but it's rather there are specific nights um, and I discovered those nights but also what I will say is um, since starting out as Orlando in 2017 a lot of those early venues that I performed at they no longer exist Um, they're part of that continuing trend of the of queer spaces disappearing in urban and built up places
1: yeah because there was a 2017 study a really landmark study done by um, University College London where they found that um over the course of a decade 58% of London's queer venues closed so that's a huge number and and they also found that those spaces closed down not because as as i suppose one might expect um of you know digitization and the the move the move from socializing in physical spaces to online spaces that wasn't that that didn't have anything to do with it apparently the the main factor was actually redevelopment and so about these venues being priced out of an area you know um and yeah so there's a huge kind of cultural conversation at the moment about disappearing queer spaces um and so yeah this is uh, this is part of why this podcast exists i suppose try to to try to to think about space and and to think about the spaces that are being created and it's interesting that you should talk about gay and and heaven um as being these quite you know disappointing spaces very disappointing but an entryway in some ways you know um and, and and this is uh, something that Jeremy Atherton Lynn talks about in his book Gay Bar, and we'll have a chance to talk to him later on about the fact that you know maybe these queer spaces are not what you dreamed they would be, you know, but they are kind of an entry point, and that's certainly the case from my first experience. I went to this is really hilarious when I think about it I went the my first experience of a gay bar was the George in Dublin it's this like huge you know institution on on georgia street in the center of dublin a big purple pub you know with a nightclub in the middle of it and um but i went there in like at at like 2 p.m like 2 p.m yeah 2 p.m yeah i know right so i walked into the pub uh the pub bit of it and um there were just like a, a couple of a couple of older gay men just having a pint of Guinness and reading the paper. I don't know what I expected to find, but it felt kind of like monumental for me to have made that kind of... But I mean, because I suppose... And I did it on my own terms because I did like walking into an old man's pub, for instance, and sitting down and reading the paper and having a pint of Guinness. I don't drink anymore, but that was a thing I loved to do. So I was like, I'm going to queer this. I'm going to do this in a queer bar. But... um. You know, with regards to kind of like finding a community or being or socializing with other queer queer people, forget about it. You know, like the heads kind of turned around a bit like a saloon in the in the Wild West or something. Like the heads kind of turned and I, I kind of ordered a pint and then swallowed it quickly and then left, you know.
0: I think it was the Royal Vauxhall Tavern for me um, where I really begun to feel like I'd found a queer space where... I felt at home within. Um, So I'd been to a couple of bar watch shows. Um, They used to happen every Tuesday at the Royal Vauxhall Tavern. Um, It's a bit different now after the pandemic. Um, Certain nights are struggling and that's a shame, but this is very much pre-pandemic. And I saw the types of performers who were on stage and they were people who looked like me. And I filled in the open mic application. Um, I sent it off. I got a slot, and that's where I started out as Orlando. So I think it was really it was really drag through drag that I found that I did have a place in the queer community, and that there were spaces where I could find that sense of i it's a sense of queer fulfillment and contentment i would say um because i think i think queer spaces can be disappointing the first time you go into them because i think you do pin so much on that first experience and you think this is it this is where i'm going to find everything i've ever been looking for and often that isn't the case because you don't quite have the right place you're not quite in the right place
1: yeah and and i think that i mean those performance spaces i think are really really important so in Cambridge, for instance, there are no, there are no permanent queer spaces. Um, there's a, a club night um, called Dot Cottons, which will give you a sense of, you know, how long it's been going. Um, but it, it is a kind of a, a Cambridge institution. Um, but it's a it's a kind of a it's a club night. Um, and so when i came to cambridge from brighton it seemed quite strange to me that there weren't more venues for performance you know and that's one of the reasons why with a group of people connected to cambridge junction and weising arts center and other community activists and organizers um, we set up club urania uh, which is this monthly performance and music night for queer people and allies and you know, we've got an open mic slot, which is really great, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, the Orlandos of the future yeah, will, um, will, will appear through our open mic slot. But we've also got, you know, great performers that are kind of, you know, nationally and internationally renowned um, coming, coming there.
0: So let's hit the road. Wallet keys phone. Straw boater. Car keys.
1: Right. Amy Zing, impresario, activist, um, organiser with Glenn Fussell of the legendary uh, party uh, Sink the Pink, and um, also the founder of uh, Margate Pride. Hi, Amy.
2: Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. I always do this sort of default British self-deprecation where I'm like, I'm just one of many people that made these things happen. I'm not not like the founder of Margate Pride. I'm one of them. Um, So, yeah, just to... Same, you know, obviously it's me and Glenn the Sink the Pink, but it's the collective that I'm interested in. So I find it difficult to centre myself, but I'm happy to be here and be part of such a wonderful community. And what's...
1: Uh, can you tell us about uh, Margate Pride, first of all? You know, what, um, what was its history? When was it founded? What kind of activities you do?
2: Yes. So I moved back to Kent about 10 years ago. Um, I grew up around here and then I... Obviously, did the things that you mentioned in London, Sink the Pink. I was a BBC radio producer. I had Fingers in Pies doing various festivals and DJing and doing fun stuff. And then I wanted to move back to Kent um, to be near a family. I was thinking about having a baby. Couldn't do that in London. Lived in a damp one-bed flat. So uh, Margate was at this exciting time where Turner had opened and Dreamland And the fast train and all these sort of things made me think, oh, maybe that could be the next interesting place. Um, Unfortunately for me, it meant being near a family. So yeah, we moved back. We opened Margate Arts Club. We kind of saw that there was, you know, w- witnessing homophobia in the streets type energy. Like there was, UKIP nearly got in. Nigel Farage thought he could take this area, but fortunately he didn't. So there was it. There was like an, an unrest, but there's also always been this punk spirit about Margate. So I, that's what interests me, obviously with with everything that I'm about. And I, yeah, I started an LGBT youth group with a couple of folks around here. Because I witnessed that there was, you know, luckily we have a get there was an old school gay bar around here, but other than that, it was it's kind of bleak, there wasn't a lot going on for the young people. So we started that group and um, we started Margate Pride eight years ago, I think it was about 2016, 2014, can't remember now, but I think we're coming into our ninth year actually this year. Um, and the first year was very small, like about 500 of us marched from Town and Contemporary to the little clock tower which if you know Margate is about a five minute walk (laughs) but that in itself was a lot to organize because you know I have I have organized stuff before but it's like herding sheep when you do a community pride it's kind of like everyone I want everyone to feel like it's their thing and yeah so the first pride was beautiful lots of homemade signs and you know very DIY very Margate and and that energy has remained and but except it's just grown huge so you know we had like fifteen thousand people or something last year and there was a train strike so it's like more than doubled each year so if we don't get a train strike this year we're preparing for lots of folks to get off that train and join us which is so exciting um and then because of that we're kind of having to upscale and think about the way we do stuff because like with a lot of the things i do they have there's a topple effect and it's almost like accidentally uh, more successful than we intended and then which is so lovely because I think the contemporary feel is we don't want a sponsored pride with massive logos all over it we do want to get off a ta- off a train of in the town and have our homemade sign and dip into the parade dip into some venues like I think Margate Pride offers that sort of non-exclusive like you oh you can't you well, we're on a float, you can't come in this bit, or we've got a wristband, you can't come here. Like, it's sort of the opposite of that. It's There's no floats, actually, for eco reasons. We decide not to have floats, which works really well. It's very levelling. Um, and I realise I'm just talking loads. Sorry, <laughs> it's your podcast. <laughs> no, I'm no, no I'm I... very passionate about Margate Pride. <laughs> and then suddenly I go, oh, what, I'm still talking. Um, but I care I care so much about it. It's, it's really my, uh, you know, I, I do have a, a human child that I made in my womb who's five. But Margate Pride is my my first baby, you know, and that's that's nearly 10 years old. So it's it's such a beautiful pride. Like, I really recommend anyone who wants that real feel-good, like, all, everyone comes out, you know, every age. The care homes come out on, with their wheelchairs, with little, like, rainbow flags. Because we do workshops in a lot of the care homes. And we do this thing called the Tea Time Socials, where we work with East Kent Mencap. And some LGBT clubs that run in some local schools. So we've got like different groups that come and join us. And there's a Margate Black Pride that started now that, that has a section of the flow. Like there's there's so many people from all walks of life because the whole point is that it's everyone's pride. Like it can't be dictated by one or a few people. And we do we do are always open for feedback on how how it can feel more like everybody's pride. And the whole town come out with rainbows it's really beautiful so and a lot of the old school there's like some of the rebel dykes live around here and they say that it feels like the early prides they went to in finsbury park which just gives me chills because that is such that gives me such pride because that is you know i wasn't there at that time but to know that for this old school of our community i mean that respectfully the you know legends the, the people whose shoulders that we stand upon are telling us that what we've created it's almost accidentally feels like the pride of their heritage and that they remember is is all really all that we could ever dream to achieve you know and then it, and then if the young queers around here are having and seeing that in their town, what it does is it lives on. So when you're when it's not Pride Day and you're walking down the hill past the Turner or whatever and you remember that feeling as you walk down the hill on this hot summer's day and there's seas of rainbows and everyone's out for pride that stays, it's intrinsically in your sort of Margate memory. So actually we know of a lot of people who've moved here, met their partners here, ha- now having babies opening gay bars here because they came to our pride. But that is community magic in action. And that that is that, that safety and that feeling of, if we can do it on this day, we can do it all year. And we can do it forever. And we can, you know, I'm an ever optimist, but I do believe that in that strength in numbers and positive change and I'm talking to the council about getting a, a, a rainbow pelican crossing or zebra. I mean, not love to zebras, the pelican one down in town. Um, so, all of these kind of things that will, you know, shops keep their rainbows up. People talk about our pride, you know, you're talking to me about it now. So, it's clearly, it's sort of rippling out. Um, yeah, in ways that we could never have imagined, but I think that that is its beauty.
1: I mean, and I've got goosebumps. Um, one of the, because one of the things, I mean, you, the way you described it there, the, you know, the, the, the sea of rainbows, um, this, this idea of having like a rainbow crosswalk, um, that that feeling of going back to that space with a memory of it. So I mean, it's about queering a space, right, queering the space of Margate for for a day which lives on in, in someone's, um, yeah. someone's memory and, and gives yeah, them this kind it, of impression that,
2: in, inside in a traditional queer well, safe space which are such important spaces obviously but to take that outside to the streets is what i mean about the 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 original prides and the point of of the pride and there's there's very visible reasons that we need to march in the street it's not a party it becomes a party later on but we have a rally we are reminded why we march and we do that in solidarity together and of course we're having a joyful time because why not lead with joy you know of anyone the queer community deserve more joy and to lead with joy is so important but to remember and show the allies and everyone why we march is so vital so yeah it's a, it's a mixture of it living throughout the year and and that real solid reminder of why we march
1: i mean you, you mentioned you know the in, in like interior queer spaces and you had a hand in making them in the past. Could you tell us a bit about Sink the Pink and your experience with that? And maybe then we can talk about the the relationship between that and this.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is a mixture of being entirely selfish and loving showing off and wanting a thing that's just for me and my friends. But then that sort of ripples out of being like, why isn't there a bar where we could just always, you know, why are we being having to wear certain clothes and all this kind of like think i came up through that london scene where there was a lot of it was sort of like a bitchy judgmenty kind of oh you you didn't go to central st martin's or you haven't got the certain outfit or you can't like you're not on the guest list that sort of energy so yeah probably quite selfishly me and glenn were like why let's just you know chuck the rule book out and just do a club night that's just ridiculous and silly and like the house parties that we were having at each other's houses but in a club space um but it's also a mixture of like I think having a yoga teacher as a mother and a very grounded balanced sort of I can like you can sort of when you can feel change inside you can see it happening before it happens almost so it's like it's the sneaky way I think by like making fun the center of it but actually you know once we started to take something out of our kind of we used to call it like the home the home game almost if you were like or the the little church of our people and we then we would go and do a university ball gig or a, a, a festival gig where it wasn't necessarily our home crowd actually you can see people's minds opening and expanding on a dance floor you know folks who maybe like a sports university where there'll be quite a lot of straight blokes with a lot of stuff that they needed to get out at age 18 you know like and i remember this guy like Actually, it was it was John 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 Ben's, but we, we used to call her John Bradley But she's uh, she's been on Drag Race now, and she jumpers was on stage, and this guy kept getting her eye and like giving her the wanker sign. It was just a, such an eighteen-year-old thing to do to a drag queen, and it was like we, he, was, he he she was like you know fuck you whatever like so made it bantery. And then the guy kept doing it quite aggressively, and I witnessed it from being on stage with all the queens, so I crowd surfed off the stage and I just gave the guy a big hug and I said to him why are you doing that to my friend like what's happening and he said oh this this wouldn't be this wouldn't be all right where I'm from he was dealing with all this stuff he couldn't deal with how beautiful she was basically um, and how he probably was quite turned on by how how attractive she was and what joy what, what fun we were having on the stage and I sort of talked him through his homophobia and it Turned out, I think he was in the closet, probably, and he, or he was trying to work out himself, or why, why am I finding this attractive? And I said to him, "There's a there's a nice security guard over there, so I could ask him to ask you to leave because because you're not making me and my friends feel safe, or you could have a lovely time and, and get into the spirit of what Sink The Pink is and what this is about." Um, and he he said, well, well I'm going to stoke my moats here, but he, you know he had kind of had some other stuff to deal with." But you know, I grew up in Kent. I, I know guys like him. I've got two brothers. They're not like him. But I, you know, I, I know that kind of the patriarchy. It's not. It's not the men's fault. It's the system's fault. And I. And he was just. He's lived. He's an 18-year-old who's lived through that system. So I did, I saw no. I saw no red. You know. And I. And I, I gift that from, from my yoga teaching mum that I can. I can have those chats. And anyway, I got back on stage and had a lovely time. And by the end of the night, he was had his. Hands around everyone, own selfies with the drag queens. He was like having the best night of his life. So I've witnessed that that a million times through the work that we do. I don't call it work really, because it's just like fun and lovely. But it does. It, it, it those moments can feel slightly work like because it's almost like outreach work. You know, you're going. You don't need to be a dick. Like it's possible that, and, and of course you having that conversation like with every kid that's why you come home and then you do the home gigs and you're like oh these are our people it's all okay and then you go out and you do those ones again um but that that's an example of yeah sink the pink kind of the impact well we'll we'll never fully understand its impact you know i think that we we called it the final sink people i'm sure it lives on in in various forms and i'm sure at some point we'll be like right get the heels back out because we all do other things but you know, we're also all in our 40s, and it's time for to let the, the other kids shine the queer house parties and you like UOK Huns and like everyone that are doing fabulous things at the Glory. I've got a photo of this young queer kid who was at Margate Pride and he'd come in this little dress. I don't know what his, his pronoun, pronouns are now, but his parents had, we'd met them the week before because we were giving out posters at the Margate, uh, little flyers at the Margate Carnival. And his dad took the flyer and put his hand around his son and said, We'll be going to this next week son, and my whole heart just sung because he would not have had God I always feel emotional when I talk about our pride. He wouldn't have had um, well fortunately it was a dad who said I recognize that I want to bring my son to a pride. And we were in an end of the line seaside town where this was not this was not an option uh, uh, you know even a few years ago. And the next week his son were addressed to, to Margate Pride. And we've got this photo of him in front of one of the floats coming along and he's the proudest he's the proudest little stance and and um yeah it's for him really and it's yeah i've got me i've got a million examples of stories like that i could tell you there's like a dad who had i didn't know he was so he's just a guy and we're coming along and this is when we did have a float a few years ago um and he's on the corner and he's on his own and he looks a bit red and i'm like oh god he looks like phil mitchell he looks like a bit aggressive and i'm thinking oh, I need to protect everyone from getting all maternal. And he was standing there like really broad chested, like he was wanting to fight. And I was like, oh shit. And we get closer to him and his t-shirt says, I'm proud of my gay son. And he was on his own and his son wasn't there, but he wanted to come and show us as our float came past that he was proud of his gay son. And it gave him an opportunity to tell the queer community of Margate that, and it really made my internalised heterophobia, I don't know what the word is, but like, you know, fear of of men like him that we have witnessed, and we, and it was a really beautiful moment because it made me go. And I actually, my son, I was breastfeeding because my son had the shits that day, and I had a tiny child on my tit whilst like on a float. he was like, <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. And I'd be like painting. So we, we worked with a group of special needs adults, and I'd be painting their faces whilst that, it was like a whole morning of decorating a float. But then I had this moment where I see this guy with his t shirt. Telling us that he's proud of his gay son, and um, those are the moments that are like ingrained. You know, it, it's like I can't not do this because it's so vital. It's literally changing culture and society, and to be a to be a part of that is um, well, it's what I'll do for my whole life. You know, there's no there's no question that this is this is more vital than me doing anything else.
1: So one of the things you mentioned was uh, the work that goes on online, um, but yeah. but so much of your work is is based on uh, you know physical spaces and 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 actually existing people in real life. How do you see the connection between those two, or or why do you feel like the most work that you can do is is in is is not online?
2: Well, we started St. The Pink. You know the early Facebook age. So actually, we weren't. It wasn't very social mediay then. Like, we, there was no ca- there was no phones, no one, no one was taking pictures on the dance floor. It was when you look at early *Sing the Pink* pictures, the freedom. They're like, I remember DJing for two hours completely naked because it was so hot in the working men's club. I did. It was literally for survival reasons. Like, no one even batted an eyelid. Literally, no one noticed I was naked. So, but now maybe we wouldn't have that same freedom feeling because oh someone will take a photo and oh what does that mean and it, could it go online and all all of that that stuff didn't exist so what I've held on to and what I try and say to like younger club kids is put your phones away in club spaces um, and actually in as many spaces as you, as you can I, I've got a burner phone that I have three days a week and only very key people have the number two because I can't I want to live how I was living then One of the great things of becoming a mother has meant that i i have to prioritize my son so that's where i'm at so if probably if i hadn't gone down that route i would be a person who maybe would be spending those other hours of my time when i'm not organizing real life pride and queer events doing the doing the work online um but what's beautiful is to see our community grow and thrive and then people thank me and know that what I have created in the same way that I honor my elders, they, they say we're able to do the stuff because of the things that you were a part of creating. So that's the beauty of our community. We empower each other to, you know, stand on the shoulders of the next person. And there's, there's so many beautiful things happening hit down here in Margate that we, there's a lot of, I think maybe because it's, a bit cheaper to live here and there's a bit more of that kind of couple of days a week where you can, we have like neurodiverse meetups and we have queer meetups and we have, you know, whatever your craft interest is meetups and there's kind of that feeling of you can walk everywhere here as well. So there's a bit, it's a bit easier to say, hey, let's put on a night where we talk about what Pride's going to look like or whatever. And there's, so there's that old school, you know, like we see in the movies like Pride where they would all get together and there's that feeling of, anything's possible kind of, which I did have in London in the early days, but I did start to find it very difficult to actually survive and pay bills and like cycle everywhere and try and try and um, yeah, just make it work for me without being a person that has to do lots of corporate jobs, which my soul can't handle. And then yeah, finding like-minded queers down here and then that toppling over time with pride growing has meant that those real spaces, They've really, they've really, they're really coming back to life. And I think people really want that. We're bored of our phones. They're killing us. They're, they're draining our resources and our, we need humans. We need movement. We don't need to be hunched over desks. We need freedom. So, you know, if anyone listened to this could be vaguely inspired to try a, a day or half a day off their phone, I recommend it so much. The freedom you'll experience you'll look people in the eye when you are in space. You know, if you go into a, a queer bar, we go to any anywhere. Everyone's just looking at a screen. And it's sort of I see it through the eyes of my five year old and I think, what is he witnessing? You know, it's, a, it's we're gonna look back and go, what why were we bothering to tell someone slash whoever that we did a thing? Like just do just do the thing. So that's how I feel about real life spaces. They're so important.
1: And do a thing and change lives as as you go, I suppose. If
2: you can, yeah, but you'll you'll be changing your own life just by, you know, that's where it starts really, isn't it? Like I said, a lot of this stuff was pretty selfishly because I wanted a space that felt like that. And, you know, and I love to share things. And I do love to create community and be a part of a wider group. I've never been a person that's like, oh, I want to be on the microphone and everyone look at me. That kind of makes me, oh, my insides turn. But I love to stand on a stage with loads of sync thinkers and I love to be part of a pride where there's a community and a whole, you know, the strength in numbers thing. So yeah, if if you can do those things and not feel the need to document it, then you're absolutely winning. Because you're not gonna you're not gonna lie on your deathbed and go, Oh, I wish I put more Instagram stories up that day. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna sit there and go. I, I held someone's hand. I smelt their sweat in a nightclub. I danced until I felt my bones moving and joyful moments in the sunshine and animals and nature and plants and all the stuff that's on a phone. And of course, you could document those things on a phone and write some nice words, but no one is going to care. Like, what is making you happy and what is your joy is, is the prime thing to remember. It's not going to be... It's not going to be a hashtag, babes. What does a queer space mean to me? It means joy. It means safety. It means freedom. It means rainbows. I mean, it's, it's pretty camp. It for, you know, for me personally, it needs to have some really like silly, fun, pop music, some good folk on a stage doing something silly. It just needs to be a celebration of queer culture and freedom. It needs to listen. It needs to not be leading, but to be, a dialogue because I think that if you try to dictate what queer culture is then that's not possible because the beauty of it is that it's ever evolving and that we listen and we learn and we grow and we're a family um family is key freedom joy love it's everything really actually and it's so so important and, and like I said if we even if we lived in a world where we didn't need a queer space you know it we we still need them because we're the best and we're beautiful and wonderful and we deserve to celebrate each other in that in that zone where we're just with each other and our allies um and it's it's such a joy to be in this community and thank you for talking to me today
3: i can't without your fear.
1: Pink Suits are a non-binary, queer, feminist, punk, rock and rage duo based in Margate. Lenny and Ray are also the founders of Queer Country, the UK's only exclusively queer country-themed live music and performance night. Um, When did you come to Margate and where where were you from originally?
3: So we moved to Margate uh, six and a half years ago, five and a half years ago. Uh, And we moved via London. I'm from Colorado, originally. And Lenny's from Manchester. And we met in London and we were there for a few years together and then moved to Margate just for cheaper rent, to be honest. When we first moved here, we didn't really know anybody. We had one friend who lived here who was doing uh, the Mary Poppins film at the time. So wasn't here, but lived here and was like, come to Margate, you'll love it. We were like, all right, we'll try it. Our rent was like 400 pounds a month split. So we were like, we can take the gamble. It's a six month lease. Uh, And we love it. Yeah, we just, we met a few people. We went, we actually went to a pride meeting in like the first month we lived here. And we're just like, yeah, this is a good place. People are nice. Yeah.
4: It was quite a different vibe than just five and a half years ago. So we moved in February, 2017. And like Ray said, we didn't know anyone. It was cold and dreary. Dreamland hadn't reopened yet, so that looked like a sort of Scooby-Doo set. We walked around there on our first day and just absolutely loved it. It was snowing on the sea, like snow onto the beach that we'd not seen before. Um, We had no furniture, no stuff, no people that we knew. So it was like, Nicely bleak, but quite, I don't know, romantic in a way. And then, yeah, we went to the one Omago Pride meeting that was happening after a Turner event, and it was, like, eight quiz in a bar, just being like, what do we do this year for Pride? I think it was maybe the third the third second? year, second year that Pride had happened. So it was literally just people hanging out, being like, what are we going to do this year? Um, and then we got, to, we got to walk in Pride later that summer with them people that we still didn't know that well. And... Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a very welcoming, welcoming place.
1: Eight Queers in a Bar, I think I've seen that play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you, did you have any idea about, I mean, what, I mean, so there wasn't much of a queer presence here when you arrived? Did you get much of a sense of, like, the town's queer mm-hmm. history or anything like that?
4: There was a, there, I mean, there was a bit because, the, I mean, the only person that we knew who lived here was queer and they introduced us to people and they were queer so so whatever however small the queer community was at that time that was who we met right away um and then quite quickly after moving here we started pink suits which is which is the band we come from dance and performance not from music and it was moving here and having space and time and a sort of blank slate of a community that we could just make ourselves a band, take a risk, and be like, yeah, we're a band, and we just learned how to play music to do that, and we came here, actually, to the Tom Thumb, which is where we sat, um, and told them that we were a band, and we'd not done a show, I don't think we'd ever played a gig yet, and they said, well, come and come and put on a full show. So then, doing the show here, we would double-build with uh, another music group called the Lunar Tractors, and they're a queer, broken folk duo, so... Pretty quickly, everyone that we were meeting, I guess by way of being in arts or music, like was queer. So it it's always felt like a very queer place to us. More so now, a lot of people have come, but from the very beginning, it felt very queer.
1: And somewhere like the the Tom Thumb it has been like really generative for those kinds of um, meetings and.
4: I can't even expressing enough how much the tom thumb does for the community honestly just walking in here and being able to be like we're a band we want to put on this show they're so generous with the space and it's an amazingly like beautiful space downstairs in the theater it's tiny like the stage is tiny you can get pe- people in for those first couple of years that we came here they would pack people in and there'd be bands playing live shows plays comedy shows like it's a massive not in the literal sense, community space. It's, it's a very welcoming place, yeah.
1: So I think you referenced the kind of changes that you may have seen to a place like Margate, you know, over the course of the five and a half years. What's the thing that kind of stands out for you?
3: The, the biggest change is just, like, how many more people, how many more people, how many more queers, how many more, like, events are happening. It's like, it, when we first moved here, there would be a party every three months, And you would like, even if you were not in the mood, you would force yourself to go because you'd be like, this is the only night out for three months in Margate. Like we would go to London a lot for parties. Um, And now it's like, I sometimes don't want to go to a party when it's on because I'm just like absolutely knackered because there's so much on, which is amazing. And actually like having Pride this year was like during the March and stuff, it was one of those moments where you're like, wow, actually like all of these people live here, or come here regularly, like, this is, it, the community has just grown, like, exponentially, it's, it's so beautiful, and it, it does feel like, if you put yourself in the spaces that are doing stuff, you're, like, it's just the most welcoming and friendly community, like, nobody, it's just so non-judgmental, there's, like, not, doesn't feel clicky, it feels, like, really, like, absolutely everyone's welcome if you like you know you have to make an effort to be in the space with everyone else but like when you're there it it is just one of those places where like everyone likes each other and is friends it's nice
1: so yeah i mean this is this is um one of the things that um we wanted to talk to you about was how you're kind of creating space within Within Margate, with this club night, Queer Country. Can you tell us a bit about it?
4: At Risk of sounding like Kevin Costner. I think if you build it, they will come, and that's really that's what that's what's been happening here for a long time. Like it's what Amy and Luke did with the Arts Club, that was ten years ago, and it's what's happening with very new places like Camp opening up, and uh, the Georgian Hard is a very queer friendly space, and I think what's great about Margate is that if you want something. There's spaces that will be generous and let you try it out. And that's what we've done since the beginning. And actually we've loved country music for a long time. I mean, Ray comes from a place where country music is huge. And I come from Manchester where it's not, but I've (laughs) loved country music since I was a teenager. Um, And we just thought as a one-off, let's do a show, but let's do a drag country covers. Am Am I lying?
3: You're not lying, but you're forgetting a very crucial part of why we started Queer Country, which is that right before COVID, right before lockdowns, so there was a karaoke night here at Tom Thumb that was run by a bunch of the drag queens in Margate and Shelley Grotto, who is in the North Down Rodeo, the band that is in Queer Country, sang Jolene. And we were like, like, we've obviously heard lots of people sing Jolene on karaoke and it's tough and she just absolutely nailed it. We were like, okay, we got to start a country band with Shelley, which was kind of a joke at the time. But then when we when we came to saying, yeah, that we should try this like country night, we we thought it would be nice to do, yeah, to have like some of the drag queens come do like country numbers and we were actually just going to play the two of us with acoustic guitars and then we met Bianca who had just moved here and plays banjo and so we were like oh you should be in our country band that doesn't exist yet but you should definitely be in it and she was she was like yeah okay cool and then like one of the drummers from one of the local drummers was also like oh I actually like country music too we were like okay this is like an actual band now and on our only our only rehearsal which was the night before the first show Bianca brought uh the double bass player Rebecca and was like i've just brought my friend and we were like okay like, we've never met her but okay like this will be all right and we're not that confident musicians and we were suddenly in a room with like very competent musicians being like okay we're leading this band and we're the least experienced But I think that yeah, actually, like, there's been a bit more chat about queering country music. So it's typically like a very homophobic space.
1: I suppose you got the likes of Orville Peck, mm-hmm. right? Who yeah, It seems, yes. seems to be spearheading some kind of movement. For sure,
3: direction. yeah. There are there are a few good country artists right now who are like talking about it, and also a few like people of color doing country music who are like really talking about it. Because actually. Country music is a big mashup of lots of different backgrounds and like the banjo comes from West Africa and you know like the instrumentation is actually just like a huge combination of people from very different backgrounds and I think like yeah America's sort of very much white straight washed it and actually like I think country is like one of the gayest things ever. I mean, it it genuinely is the gayest thing ever, but like, you know, it's like cowboys and like that style and like, you know, a lot of the country singers are singing about like their boats and their cars and their beer and you're like, really? Like, (laughs) okay. But there, yeah, there are some amazing, um, there are some amazing artists right now that are like really pushing it out and I think it is getting a little bit gayer, mainstreamly, (laughs) which is nice
1: you know we hear a lot of talk about like disappearing queer spaces um, especially in the likes of London and things like that but it seems like somewhere like Margate it's just they're they're growing and they're kind of springing up here there and everywhere.
3: Well the one nice thing in Margate is there's not that many venues that are exclusively queer venues Camp and Margate Arts Club being two of the only and Sundowners Um, but most of the venues like elsewhere where we started queer country and albies where we're doing queer country now are very open and supportive and want it to be a space for everybody so like it's nice to be able to bring queer people to a venue that like most many people hadn't ever been to albies before and like maybe don't go to elsewhere very often but like if you can kind of take over the space for a night and make it feel very safe and queer and you know it's hard to yeah a lot goes into making it feel like a queer space like we do a lot of decorating and like making it feel like a kids party (laughs) so everybody's like you know we paint cardboard cutouts of cactuses and then like put them around and get six enormous hay bales and store them in our (laughs) attic. Um, But like those little things do make it feel a little bit more like our space.
4: And I think part of the success of it is that it's a big dress up night and country's very accessible in terms of how much you want to dress up. Um, If you want to wear just dungarees or jeans and a shirt, you're in, that's country. If you want to go full, you know, Big breastplate and enormous beehives, Stetsons, big kind of gowns, go full Dolly, rhinestones. You know, there's a big spectrum, but everyone can dress up and get into it in some way. And those little aesthetic things get people really into the night, I think. But also, there's a lot of work that goes into working with venues when you're putting on queer spaces, putting on queer nights and creating queer spaces where you want to work with the venue to talk about their working practice and your working practice, and what what we can do all year round to make sure that queer people are always safe in the space, and it's something we're trying to do with Margate Pride, and we're trying to do it with Pink Suits whenever we go to places, is to say, well, what is the relationship with the security? What is your relationship, you know, to bathrooms? How are people treated in the space? How are people viewed? How are people spoken to? What gendered language do you use as a default, and maybe could you change that? Um, so, you know, we do every other month queer country, um, but it gives us an in into these spaces that we can say, okay, and what about the rest of the time?
1: In the next episode, we head west into the countryside to Sissinghurst Castle, where we explore the thrilling, unconventional marriage of Vita Sackville West and Harold Nicholson. Into That World Inverted was presented by Diarmut Hester and Holly James Johnston, and produced by David Bramwell. With thanks to our funders, the University of Cambridge, and our partners, the National Trust, and Creative Folkestone thanks also to all the writers artists curators and community groups who gave up their time to talk to us into that world inverted is a prick up your ears podcast for more immersive audio journeys visit prickupyourears.net if you've enjoyed the podcast please complete the short survey on the website